Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. Father God, we thank you for the gift of vision. Lord, every one of us appreciate it every day when we open our eyes and we can see. Lord, we can see where to go. Uh, we can see what's before us. Lord, we can, we can see what to avoid and, and uh, Father God, just, just where to head to in life. And Lord, it, it is true that we spiritually need vision as well. Uh, Father God, the church without vision is, is a church in a very dangerous place. And Lord, you have been so good to, to make the road very clear for us, to, to put down boundary lines for us to walk into. And, and Father, we've all seen those, just those tragic times when a church decides to be about something else. Yeah. Lord, that is outside of your blessing, outside of your heart, outside of your mission. And so, Lord, we together, we want to be about the kingdom. Father, we want to, we, we want to show your heart to this world. God, we, we want to be a people on the move for you, a people on mission with God. And so, Lord, would, today, would you just, in the same way uh, these, these young folks have been preparing for this Ghana trip, Lord, would you prepare us to be about our Father's business in this world, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so first of all, let me ask you a a question that has a whole bunch of answers to it. And the question is, why in the world does a church need vision? I mean, what what is the big deal with uh, with vision? Why is it so important for the church of Jesus Christ? Because, you know, you you look on church websites, you you, you try to find out what any church is all about, you're going to run into vision, so why is it so important? Now, To answer that question, I could give you about a million reasons, um, but today I'm only going to give you two, okay? Two, knowing that there are many, many more reasons, uh, but but here are two reasons why we in the church need vision. Now, the first one is actually one that you have seen before. Uh, You've heard of it. You've witnessed it um, before I ran smack into it. Um, I I, I knew this had been happening. Um, Every church I'd ever been in, this was kind of there. Um, but it was when I went into NASCAR many years ago that I, pardon the pun, ran smack into one of the needs for vision. Now, the, the way this happened, um, it was for me like Groundhog Day every single week in NASCAR. Um, and I mean, yes, like the movie. There was this groundhog phenomenon that happened no matter where we were across the country. We could be in Talladega, Daytona, Sonoma, Bristol, and the same thing would happen every single week. At the end of our chapel service, somebody would come up to me at the end and say, oh, Steve, I really enjoyed your service today. Man, I wish it was like this back home. Incredible. It was incredible the way this happened. And so what I would try to do, after I heard this a couple times, I would try and downplay it, okay? Because I didn't want people to, like, come and throw their church under the bus or, or you know, open the door for a whole bunch of complaints. So I'd kind, kind of downplay it and say, oh, <laughs> well, you mean you wish your church was 35 minutes long like chapel, right? And, and, and they would respond back and say, no, it's not that. And then I would say, okay, then tell me what you mean by that, knowing exactly what was coming next. And here it was, in some fashion or form, this is what they communicated to me. Back home in my church, it's just dry. It's the same thing every single week. 
I am not sure what we are supposed to be about as a church, and it shows all over the church. Seniors are, are, are so frustrated with our church. Young people are, are so, in, so, so disengaged, and everybody else in the middle, everybody else in the middle, it's just, it's just the same old thing. They're, they're, just, they're just worn out, feeling so purposeless, and, and we're seeing it in the church. You know, people are sort of there. You know, they're in body, but that's about it, or they're not even coming anymore. One guy, I remember one guy described it to me this way. He said, you know, our church is like that movie, as good as it gets. It's just, it's just a community of people who are just all going through the motions of church. And, um, you know, no one's really living anymore. But your little chapel in NASCAR, oh my gosh, I wish it was like this. This, this little chapel, it's biblical, it's engaging, it's exciting, it's, it's dynamic. You can tell people really want to be here, and, and you guys are doing it. You know, you are proclaiming Christ to this community. You are reaching this community for Jesus Christ. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. I wish I could be here every week. I wish there was some way that I could just support this great thing. And, and so I would respond back to them, well, look, make your check payable to Steve Keller. And, you know, but, no, but seriously, joking aside, what I just described, and, and yeah, it can be greater or, or you know, uh, you know, less than that in some places, but this is a real problem in the church of Jesus Christ all over this nation. I'm talking about spiritual malaise and, and, and spiritual boredom. It is a real problem in the church today. And sometimes, honestly, the, the problem is in the pew. You know, sometimes it's the expectation of a person or, you know, the problem can reside out there, but I'll tell you this, it is high time in leadership in the church that leadership stop blaming them. Well, you know, the real problem today is just people want to be entertained. You know, pe people want their ears tickled. You know, it's, it's like Burger King out there. You know, people have just turned into consumers. They want it their, you know, they want to have it their way. Or King Burger, you know, uh, have it your way, but don't get crazy. That's what's going on in the church of Jesus Christ. Folks, that is not true. If there is one thing I learned from my time all across the country, running into all kind of lost people and all kind of found people, one thing I discovered is people still desperately want to find life. They really do. People want so much more than this world has to offer. They really do. People want something worth living and dying for. And speaking of life and death, Jesus Christ died that we might have life. And people ought to find life in the church. They just should. And see, this is where the truth of something we read, something that gets referenced now and then, Proverbs 29, 18, this is where it comes crashing into the church's experience. The church of Jesus Christ must have a burning, clear, inviting, engaging, biblical vision to guide it. It should. Because you see, without it, Proverbs 29, 18, without it, what happens to the church? People scatter. Some versions say that they perish. I would just submit that they also die of boredom. But see, also, it's not just biblical boredom or, or, or religious boredom. When we don't have a biblical vision, what happens to the church 
is that it devolves, devolves into something else. And many of you have seen that something else. Uh, the church can turn into a religious country club. You ever heard of that before? Where, you know, everyone in the church, we're, we're just a little better off than all those folks out there. You know, the church without a vision can become a kind of a, a sacred institutional factory that's just cranking out religious programming. And you kind of get to that point at some, at, at some time in the church's life when people go, I, I don't even know why we're doing what we're doing, or even worse, the church can devolve into a spiritual ghetto. And I know there are a lot of thoughts or images we have with a ghetto, but the definition of a ghetto, it is, it is a walled area, a walled community where some folks are shut in and the rest of the world is shut out. Folks, that cannot be as good as it gets for the church of Jesus Christ. And so one reason that we need a great burning biblical vision that is on target and is the heart of God is we need it to break religious boredom and we need it to keep us on track. But I've got a second and a more compelling reason for why we need biblical vision in the church. Yes, Lord, let it rain down on us. Hey, let me tell you, God can add sound effects that really make a difference. I love this. But the, the second reason and the more compelling reason why we need a biblical vision actually comes out of our text today, Romans 11.36 through Romans 12.2, just three verses today. But hear these with your heart. For everything, and I'll include everyone, everything and everyone comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And so, dear brothers, in light of this, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind that God will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. So, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, if you've been with us throughout the series, some of this language sounds very familiar. Paul is doing something he's done earlier in the book of Romans, which is he is reminding us of some bottom lines. He is reminding us of who made us, and what our purpose is. And now Paul, Paul's also giving us motivation to live for God and God alone. He's saying, look, you were made by God, every one of you. It is God's breath that gave you life. But even more than that, it is the power of God that sustains you. Even before you know Jesus, it is the breath of God that keeps you going physically. But he's saying, look, it's the church. And as Christians, it is the power of God that fuels the church of Jesus Christ, that makes the church of Jesus Christ fully alive and causes it to thrive. And, and so Paul says, okay, you get that. You re, you're reminded of all that. But God has done all of this for a reason, for a bottom line reason, and it, and it is so that the church will give God glory, so that the church will bring glory to God. And folks, how do we do that? How do we bring glory to the one who made us, to, to the one who, who has breathed on us and has empowered us? How do we do this? You know, we do it the same way that nature does it. 
How, how does nature glorify God? It does exactly what it was created to do, you know? You might say, well, you know, the trees don't really seem all that active. Oh, yes, they are. They glorify God by growing up into precisely what they were meant to be. For us, the church of Jesus Christ, we glorify God when we do what he has called us to do, when we are about him. And, and when we do this, when we are on target with God, you know, when, when we are walking in his ways, when, when we are all about everything that he's spoken, spoken to us, uh, when we do all of that, then Everything we do points back to God. It all tells the world the story of God. It tells, it tells them who he really is, what he is really about, what he's like. It sends the clear message of God's love, God's salvation, that, that, that God desires the world. And, and here's what happens when we glorify God and the church is about what the church is meant to be about. You know what happens to the world? They get hit with life. They come to life as they say yes to Jesus Christ. As the church gets the message, they come to life. But do you know what happens to the church? When the church does that, man, the church comes to life. I don't know if you have ever been a part of a church. Uh, has anybody ever been a, a part of a church that really grew? Okay, just a few hands. I, I won't call you out or anything. Okay, so you've been a part, a part of a church that re really grew. So have I. I've been a part of, of both types of churches. One where the church was always growing because other people from other churches were coming to that church. Uh, that's nice. You know, it adds more resources, you know, more, more, more folks to be able to carry on the mission of God. But have you ever been a part of a church that was growing through salvation? where prodigals were coming back home, people were hearing the good news of Jesus Christ, and they were coming into worship, and, and this was all brand new for them. Folks, the effect on the church is astounding. Boy, you want to be a part of a church that is alive. Let that church reach the world with the message of Jesus Christ and let them come in as the family of God. It is electrifying for the church. Now, it brings them to life and it brings us to life. Now, now he, here's the opposite of that, okay? Now, I'm gonna give you an example. I made this one up. It's a beautiful illustration, so get ready. The opposite of that effect would be like if I looked down at my watch and my watch said, hey, look here, bub, I got some news for you. Um, you know, I, I, I've been, I know I was created to tell time, but I'm kind of sick of doing that. Um, you know, no, no more of this big hand, little hand stuff for me. I'm gonna go off and be a fry cook. That is probably the most ridiculous example you have ever heard from the pulpit, and I chose it for a reason. Oh, I wrote it for a reason. The reason is this. It is just as ridiculous for the church of Jesus Christ to be about anything else other than what Jesus Christ said it was to be about. And the Apostle Paul does not want the church to make, make that mistake. And so, so he writes to us here at the beginning of chapter 12 to bring clarity and motivation. And um, he, he says something to us that's, that's kind of stark, okay? It's kind of a real challenge. At least I find this to be a challenge. Paul writes to us, dear brothers and sisters, paraphrasing now, there is a way that is right for you. There is a way to be on target with God, to be a people on mission with God, to be a people on the move who are significantly impacting this world for Jesus Christ. And that way, Paul tells us, it is for us to take the plunge, in, the plunge into the lordship of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul stops us here in verse 12, and he, and he says some stuff that really grabs us. He says, I urge you to stop first and consider everything that God has done for you. Now, if we stop and consider everything God has done for us for the rest of this service, we're gonna be here until next week. But just a few things, Paul's pointed us back to a couple of things. Like, number one, God made us, God sustains us by his power. So here are a couple of things he's given us that God has done for us. Now, when it comes to Jesus Christ, who is also God, has Jesus done anything for us? You, good. Oh, very good. Yes, Jesus, Jesus did what? Jesus died to save us. Jesus set us free. Jesus made us into children of God. How about the Holy Spirit? Has the Holy Spirit done anything for the church? If nothing else, and there is more than this, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church to empower the church. So Paul says, look, stop. And consider what God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have, has done for us. And then he says, look, if you really want to worship God and enjoy God and the life he has for you, then church, there's one thing, this lordship of Jesus Christ principle. Take the plunge and become a living sacrifice. Paul, could you translate that for us? Because it sounds a little intimidating. Yes. Give your whole self to God. That's what Paul tells us to do. And listen, I know as 21st century Americans, we hear that, give your whole self to God. I mean, you know what that does? That brings up an inner Scooby-Doo in all of us. You know, oh, what? I mean, it just, it's, it's astounding. Paul, you can't mean that, you know? And, and, and look, if you do, how in the world am I gonna pull that off? How am I gonna get from this place that I am in my life with, you know, juggling this, that, and the other thing and distracted and all this stuff to do, how can I get from this place where, where I live to this radical life in Jesus Christ? And, and by the way, I think Paul should explain himself because he's asking for something big. Well, the great news is Paul does. The very next verse, verse two, he tells us. He says, look, this radical way of living for God and for God alone is possible if we, the people of God, will stop conforming to the pattern of this world and instead be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, this is a big deal, okay? This is huge. I have heard this preached a lot of different ways, so I, I wanna offer to you what I humbly believe is right here. Number one, to get this, Paul is not in any way, shape, or form advocating for legalism. He's not. Uh, he, Paul is not calling us, uh, you know, to, to, to a, a religious rigidity. Uh, Paul is not calling us to behavioral perfection when it comes to our minds. Paul is not saying, okay, look, if you're really a Christian, the only thing you're thinking about are rainbows and world peace and scripture verses all day long. Instead, Paul is doing something purposeful, deliberate, and powerful. He is contrasting two very important words for us. And those words are conform and transform. Now, let's take both of these for a minute. Here's what conform means, okay? To conform means to agree with something. It means to adapt to something, and it means to imitate something that you see outside of ourselves, 
okay? So Paul is saying, look, church, be careful of that. In other words, conformity is an outward action, okay? We, we just jump in and we do it. And here it's, it's kind of like the game Simon says. Now, Simon, in this respect, would be everything that's going on in the world around us, all right? So in other words, Simon says to everyone, including the church, including Christians who share the planet, Simon says, jump in. Well, what do we do? Well, we do that. We jump into the stream and we just float downstream with the rest of society. Paul says, no, don't do that. There is a much better way. Instead of conforming, be transformed. Now, transform is, is a little different here. It's quite different. Transform, on the other hand, means to be changed from within. So Paul says, look, be changed from within and then you will live a very different life for God on the outside. True spiritual transformation, by the way, comes from one place. Does anyone want to guess where it is? I'll give you a hint. It's the Word of God. It is the Word of God that transforms our hearts and our minds. The living, breathing Word of God. I'll give you a couple of examples. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 35. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so I may keep your law and obey it with my heart. Direct me, Lord, in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Hebrews 8.10. I will put my laws in their hands. No, that's not what it says. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them, on, write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Folks, nothing transforms us like the Word of God. Nothing renews our minds, and it's the key to this new thinking that Paul is talking about. And that's why on Sunday, what, what do we talk about? You know, Fox News headlines, you know, the debate on CNN, something cool that happened. No, we don't. We talk about the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. We proclaim the Word of God for our health, for our life. And at, at home, what do we do? We read it. We meditate it on, on it. Well, one other thing we need to do as the church is we also need to grab the Word of God, the words of Jesus, what He said to His church, and we need to hold it up before the church to remind ourselves who we are, what we're about, what, what, we are, what we're always to be about. So what we have to do in the church is we have to get clear on, on what this is about. We have to come into agreement on, on what Christ has told us to do and who He's called us to be. And so it is critical for the church of Jesus Christ that we have the right vision. And the right vision is his vision. So here's what Jesus Christ has told us to do. And here's what I love so much about vision in the church. Uh, we don't have to go and invent it. Um, ha have you ever noticed that many vibrant churches ha have pretty much the same vision? Have you noticed that? You know, it's like, it's a variation, but they're all kind of about the same thing. That's good. They shouldn't be about 50 other things. We should all be about what he's called us to be. So here it is. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and the Greatest Commandment, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. This is condensed version. Jesus said to the church, just before he was ascended, leaving us to be his hands and feet and heart to the world, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations 
teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And it is to also love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, translation, with everything that we are, and then love our neighbor as ourself. Now, you may have recognized those words. You may realize those words have been around for quite a while. Uh, you know, it's not something brand new. So, so let me share another story with you. This week, I had a powerful revelation, okay? Revelation is going to change your life. Is a revelation about school buses, all right? Happened to me Monday. Um, I, I come across school buses quite often on my way to work. So I had a revelation about school buses. Now, I'm going to start by going back to my life. When I was a child, catching the school bus was a really, really big deal. Um, if you're of my generation, sometimes there was a bit of angst about the school bus, okay? It was a really, really serious thing. Now, here's what I mean. When, when I was a kid, you had better be at the bus stop when the school bus showed up, okay? If you were not at the school bus, uh, at, at the stop when the bus came, you know what the bus did? Just kept on going, you know? And, and you can't even say the school bus left. The school bus never stopped. If you weren't there, the bus was gone. When I was a kid... If you were on your way to the school bus and the school bus got to the stop before you did, nine times out of 10, the driver would see you coming, the door was open, he would go ahead and close the door and he would drive off and you'd just be chasing the school bus. Folks, again, catching the school bus when I was a kid, it was a really, really big deal. I mean, dinosaurs roamed the earth, the school bus did not stop if you weren't there. Now, these days, it has really, really changed. Um, especially if you live in Suffolk, Virginia, um, the school bus pulls up in my neighborhood, and uh, nobody's there. The doors open, traffic stops, and we all just get to wait. Eventually, what happens is a, the door of somebody's house will open up, and some kid will come kind of, you know, sashaying and ambling toward the school bus, and the school bus driver's, you know, praying that he'll make it. You know, oh, come on. Oh, that time is irrelevant. He just takes his time. A couple of kids over here in a pack, you know, who are talking about something, they'll peel away and they'll begin their snail's pace kind of shuffle. And then there, there's always the one kid. That this, I, I, I'm going to have to meet this kid at some point. But there's always the one kid up against the light post. And, you know, eventually he finishes up his game of Fortnite, you know, puts it away. And then, then you know, he stretches and ties his shoe and combs his hair and finishes his taxes, and then he makes his way over to the school bus. In my day, the school bus waited for no man. Man, these days have things really changed. Now, Steve, why in the world are you telling us this illustration about school buses? Here's why I'm telling, telling you that. That's how the whole world is, isn't it? I mean, things in our world are always in flux. They're always changing. You know, anywhere you look, whether it's politics or finance or, you know, the latest this, that, things are always changing. This is a world that's always adapting and becoming and progressing and regressing. But it's, it's very true, isn't it, of, of our world? Not so with the Word of God. Not so with the mission of Jesus. They are just like the one, like God himself, who is unchanging, forever the same. And so when you hear the vision, you go, you know what, it just, it sounds so yesterday. Yes, it is. 
There is an ancient way and a good way for the church of Jesus Christ. The marching orders for the people of God really have not changed since the day of Pentecost. It's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to know that when we do ministry today, we join hands with the Apostle Paul. We join hands with the church at Ephesus. Christians throughout all centuries, we're doing the very same thing, marching by the orders of the very same Lord. You've got our vision. You've got our core values there in front of you. I'll read you KPC's vision um, just in case you didn't get a bulletin. But when you hear this, you will hear the, the, the Great Commission. You will hear the greatest commandment all over again in contemporary language. But it really is what we've always uh, supposed to have been about. KPC's vision is to deeply experience the love and the presence of God in a life of worship. It is to, to grow as faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ, and it is to serve a world that is hungry for his truth and love. And so that's why on this Sunday and many Sundays and years to come, we will take that vision, we will show it to you, we'll promote it, we'll remind you of it, um, and we will do this so that it will sink in and settle into our bones because as we get this vision, what we realize is that church is none of those things that we described earlier. You know, church is not an institution. Church is not a building. Church is not even religious programming. Church is you and church is me reaching the world, reaching the world. I, I love our core values here. For us, through prayer, through worship, through discipleship, through fellowship, service, outreach and evangelism. This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what our world is waiting for. Father, we thank you for this time that we have had as a church recently, a time of refining, a time of defining us, Lord God. And Lord, today, just as, as we watch uh, baptisms uh, uh, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 miles away from here, Father, we pray not just there, but here. Father God, would you reach Hampton Roads through KPC? Father, I pray the same thing for the rock, for new life, for every church in our community, that we will be lit up with the good news. God, that we would receive that burning mandate to get out there and make a difference. And so, Lord God, today is, as we uh, transition into, into uh, just interacting with some of the ministries here, um, as we find out what's available, Lord, would you just give us that inner yes, that inner witness to, Lord, this is how you would use me to accomplish the vision which was not cooked up by our pastor or pieced together by a session or uh, stolen off another website by staff members, but God, this is your heart for your church. Jesus, we just long to be those whom, oh, you say, well done. You say, well done, good and faithful. You, you could have done so much more with the time you had. You, you could have spun off into so many other things. You could have kept yourselves happy and made an empire, but you chose instead the kingdom. You chose salvation. You chose to be a light in the world and a city set on a hill. Father God, we commit ourselves to you. We commit this next year of walking together in the vision that you have given us. In the name of Jesus Christ, be glorified through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC Podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.